What's up, everybody? Welcome into the Coaching Tree. This is episode number six. Very special episode featuring our guest, head men's basketball coach, St. Bonaventure University, a one Mr. Mark Schmidt. And today's episode is brought to you by 199.com. That's 19NINE.com. And this is your one stop shop for all of the fantastic retro college basketball gear. Uh, whether you're a fan of Xavier, UConn, Butler, Syracuse, Wake Forest, St. Bonaventure, Jacksonville, Temple, Georgia Tech, they have it all. All those amazing old logos that you remember, all the cool vintage shorts, they have them all in stock. Check it out. Go on their website, 199.com. And for our listeners, they're giving us a free shipping code, and that would be CT for Coaching Tree. So type in CT into the promo code and you will get free shipping on your order check it out that you will not be disappointed they have some fantastic stuff and some great sales right now and once again that's 199.com welcome into the sixth episode of the coaching tree podcast i felt moved to do an introduction today because quite frankly, it warrants one. We have on a very special guest, the head men's basketball coach of St. Bonaventure University, Mark Schmidt. And Mark joins us as the all-time wins leader at St. Bonaventure University. In just 12 years, he eclipsed that in an incredibly storied program. He owns the most wins of any coach in the history of the university. Uh, He has been the Atlantic 10 regular season champ he's been the atlantic 10 coach of the year he's had 24 players play professionally under him he is an all-around great guy he is a workhorse a grinder if you're a fan of basketball a coach a potential player or a parent this is a must listen he he's going to give you a lot of great intel and a lot of great advice on what it takes to succeed in this business as a player or a coach. Uh, We're just incredibly honored that he joined us today for about an hour and 15 minutes. It's it's been a real pleasure getting to know him over my time um, as an alumni of the school, and I'm just thrilled he he jumped on with us for, for some time today. So welcome in, Mr. Mark Schmidt. How you doing, my man? Are you guys can you guys hear me yeah yeah we can, can yeah Sounds great. So, so we're on with uh, my buddies chris McHugh, who's the coach of washington lee university in virginia and joe real who's a local high school coach and uh, mark schmidt coach of saint bonaventure university is joining us so <laughs> coach thanks for taking some time um i don't know if you're busy or not right now i don't feel like any of us are super busy probably trying to be trying so, to be I want to, for the listeners, the guy, you know, this is a coaching, we, we talk usually primarily basketball here and, and coaching and some of our philosophies. And uh, obviously it's, it's amazing that we have you on. We could pick your brain a little bit, but I want to go back just to touch in and, and talk about your playing days. So if you were a That's a long time ago. 80. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's do a super rewind to 1982. Right. <laughs> you, you're playing for, the great Gary Williams. Oh, what can you tell us about your days with um, 
playing under Gary Williams. What What's the practice like under Gary? How hard was that? You know something? It, it was it was the golden years. It's um, you know football and basketball. You know we made two Sweet Sixteens and an Elite Eight. We lost to uh, Elijah Wan and Five Slam and Jim in my freshman year to go to the Final Four. So it was the golden years, and then football. You know the whole Flutie Heisman Trophy, Cotton Bowl, all that stuff. So those are the golden years. That's you know the Big East, and you know that's where that's when it was really good. But Gary was um, you know a really intense guy. He um, you know, he was a basketball coach. You know, that's that's what he, he lived for. Um, you know, practices were really, really intense. And I think guys see him as, in his late years at Maryland. And he was intense then. Um, but just imagine 20 years prior. Um, you know, he'd, sometimes he'd sweat more than our players. Um, but he was really competitive guy. Practices were really, really competitive. Um, you know, was, I, I think. In my career, I think at BC, I think we had eight guys that went on to play in the NBA. Um, you know, so we had really, really good teams. Um, we had a kid, John Bagley, my freshman year, who was the 13th pick in the draft. And he was probably the, the best player that I've ever played with. Um, you know, so we, we've had, we had really good teams. I do have one question. Did you, did you match up against Olajuwon at all or no? Uh, no, Olajuwon was the center. <laughs> I just, I just wondered if there was ever a switch or something, and you know, you found yourself guarding. Him. No, but I did, but I did score the last points in the Midwest Regional Finals. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, but we lost, but we lost by six. By that's not bad though. No, it was a great game. It was great. They had everybody. Clyde Drexler, they had Clyde Slam and Jim. They were, Elijah yeah. was a freshman. He was a freshman. He was that a year? freshman. Yeah, I was a freshman. But yeah, he was a freshman. Did, did he go? And did he go after his sophomore year? Yeah, did he sophomore him? junior year. He was just he didn't play a ton, but he oh, really? was he was big as hell. But <laughs> raw, he, he that's where how far he came is it's amazing because he wasn't very yeah. good as a freshman. He was good, you know. He was long, athletic, but he had no skill. But you know, you see him now. You know, three years later, it's like oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I had heard too that he wasn't originally like he he ended up in Houston randomly and he liked the weather. So yeah, he was Houston. gonna go. He was gonna go to uh, some school in the east. And yeah, he got, he yeah, got George a, I read a story. He was at an airport and when they said you know Houston and it's like is it warm there? Yeah, and that's yeah. why he got on a plane and went to Houston. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna go a little off script here because we're talking about Elijah. Are you? Are you watching the last dance at all or no? I am. I am. What, what, what's your take on that? Uh, Jordan was the most competitive guy I've ever met or I've ever read about or seen. Yeah. I just think that he was, you know, guys lead in different ways. And the way he, it's almost like he led by fear. Right. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like guys were afraid of him. Um, but he backed it up. You know, it's – I always say, you know, a coach said a long time ago, if, you're, if your best player is the hardest worker, then you're going to have a successful team. And he was. Absolutely. He could back it up. It's not like, you know, one day he pray, practiced hard, the next day he didn't. Every day he was a killer. You know, and, yep. and that's – as you guys know, that's unusual. You know, you don't have guys like that, you know. Right. They, no they, off switch. They don't come across, you know, like that all the time. He, he was just – yeah, it's it's amazing just watching just his competitiveness was I tell you, I don't I don't know if there's a an athlete in the world ever 
that have that competitiveness. Here's a little bit. 2007, our former AD, Steve Watson, I'm assuming gives you a call about the, the Bonaventure job. Yep. And, I mean, I know because I was on campus and going to games my freshman and sophomore year. So we were 17 and 67 the past, the past three seasons before you got there. So I want to know, what was it about – was it an amazing pitch by Steve or was it – something that you felt about when you visit this, you know, when you went to Bonaventure, you walked the campus, what, why did you take that job? There's a lot of reasons. Um, first of all, it all started in Atlanta. Um, on Monday, I got a call from, from a friend of mine that was friends with, with Steve Watson and asked me if I'd be interested in the St. Bonaventure job. And, you know, when I got off the phone, I said, yeah. So I called him back and he says, why, why don't you meet, uh, with, with Steve Watson in a, in a hotel at, you know, whatever, two o'clock. And, and I told him, I think it was say it was Sunday that I, I talked to my friend. And then on Monday I went over and we were leaving with the family to go fly back to Pittsburgh. Um, Cause as an, as um, you know, we didn't have uh, five tickets to, to, to go to the game. So we usually go back and watch the game on uh, the final game at night um, at home. So, I went and went to this hotel and went up the elevator, went to the room, knocked on the door. And the guy opened up the door. He was like, you know, looked like he was seven foot five. And so I, we went in there and, you know, it was, you know, and I told him I, I needed to get going, I, you know, have a flight to catch and so forth. And, and I was in there for three hours and it seemed like I was in there for, you know, 45 minutes. So, you know, it went really well. I felt comfortable with, with Steve and, you know, I guess he felt comfortable with me and, so we, we get back to Pittsburgh and I get a call, you know, I don't know, two or three days later um, that, you know, he, he wanted, um, you know, me to come up. So my wife and I came up and we didn't even, I don't even know if we came on campus. We went to that, that Italian place across the street. Yeah, yeah. Um, Luciano, Luciano's, I think it was. And, I thought it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so, you know, I met, um, with the whole staff, the athletic staff, the, the, you know, the executive committee or whatever. And, and we sat down and talked and, and so forth. And, um, you know, and I think I met with sister. Um, and then, you know, we went home and, you know, you know, like a, a day later I was offered the job and I didn't know what to do. Um, you know, coach, coach Prosser is, was my mentor and, you know, I, I talked to Coach about the job because at Robert Morris, you know, we, we had built that thing. We, you know, we had won 17 games. And the next two years, we, you know, it showed we had we had the player of the year the next two years if we had stayed. Um, so we knew we were going to be good at Robert Morris. And everybody talked about, you know, you should stay and you maybe get a better job and, you know, so forth. And But you just never know. And I remember sitting down with, with talking to, to, to Coach Prosser and saying, Coach, what do you think? And, you know, and he said – that, you know, a number of different things. But one thing that really resonated with me was, you know, he goes, what happens if those two players of the year um, got hurt? Would you be happy to remain at Robert Morris the rest of your career? And, mm -hmm. you know, so that was that was a thought. Um, you know, and then secondly, you know, I was an assistant at Xavier for, for six years with coach. And, you know, we played Bonaventure every year and uh, would come up to Olean and stay in, across the street at the castle. Um, you know, where the snow would come under the door and, you know, so forth. And, 
But I remember talking to coach and he goes, you remember, you know, we, we had our final game. We had David West before we left and went down to, to Wake Forest. Um, we had lost at the buzzer. Um, Bonaventure beat us. And, and that place was electric. And I remember going back mm -hmm. to the airport in Buffalo and, and I told coach, I said, man, I've never been in a lot of place in my life. And, you know, when, when I was looking at Bonaventure, you know, whatever it was, six, seven years later, um, you know, he, he brought that up. And and he also brought up, it's like, you know, Bonaventure had won before and they've been going through a hard time, um, you know, but they've won. Why can't you, why can't they win again? You know, so all those things. And I really trusted coach. He was, like I said, he was a, my mentor. Um, and I just, I just thought it was, it was a good time. You know, our family, the, one of my, my oldest son was going into to middle school and another one was, um, was going to be in second grade and another one, you know, wasn't even in, in school yet. So it was the right time to move as a family. Nobody had girlfriends. It wasn't that type they, they weren't old enough, you know, so it was a good time for that. Um, and, I, and I just thought it was a, it was a time where, you know, we, we can try to rebuild something, you know, it was a challenge. Um, yeah. So it was funny when I didn't take the job. Um, I came, I brought my family up a second time and we went to the Riley center. We, you know, we shot basketballs, you know, shot and played a little bit. I, I wanted my, my three boys to, to see what it was going to be like. I, what I didn't want to do is go up there and then, you know, I'm coaching and my three kids are going, dad, what are we, what are we doing up here? So I brought those three guys up and, and, you know, so it was a family decision and, and it was, it was the best decision I've made, you know, but it, it was interesting. So we, we get, we get there and, you know, I have my press conference and we have, um, you know, more people at the press conference than I had at Robert Morris games, um, which was, which was a shock. Um, and then, and then, you know, I go into the locker room and, you know, we have four players, um, you know, so after our meeting in the locker room, I called coach Prosser up and I said, coach, what, what did you have me do here? I thought maybe I committed suicide, um, but, <laughs> but it all turned out. We can talk about that later, how it all went, but, but that was the process. And I just thought, you know, the Atlantic 10, you know, trying to help resurrect a program, it was a challenge. Um, you know, and, and that's, you know, it, it was intriguing to, to, you know, I was, I think I was 44 at the time and, um, you know, and I and I just felt it was it was the right time. We you know we we did some good things at Robert Morris, and you know, and let's see if we can do some special things at at Bonaventure. And nothing was guaranteed. You just never know uh, what was going to happen. Yeah. But I was really comfortable with with Steve and and his um his outlook on things. He he was a guy that grew up in Franklinville. You know, he knew the area. Um, and and, and you know, I I thought I had a boss that was going to be working with me hand in hand. You know, and it wasn't going to be me against him and he was going to be in my corner. And, and that's what ultimately that that's what really persuaded us as a family to to make that jump. Coach, you say uh, you only had four players on the roster. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, crazy depleted, <laughs> you know, really a program that really just had a really rough, um, you know, past few years when he took it over. So can you just describe those first 30 days on the job? You know, what were the first few things that you did when you got in that office? Um, get your hands dirty. What kind of players were you looking at? What kind of staff were you looking to hire? Yeah, it's it's uh, it was a whirlwind. It really was. I, I you know, I knew I was going to bring a couple guys um, from Robert Morris. I, I'm a firm believer. It's like I, I wouldn't be where I am today 
or where we were at Robert Morris and wouldn't have had an opportunity to take the St. Bonaventure job if it wasn't for my assistance. So, you know, there was, I, I was going to bring those guys with me no matter what. Um, because like I said, I wouldn't be in the position to get that job at Robert Morris uh, at St. Bonaventure if it wasn't for those guys. But so a- after, <laughs> after the, uh, the press conference, I went in and met the team and you know, we had four players and, and two walk-ons. Um, and so, you know, I, I told them my vision, you know, what, what I expected. Um, we said, you know, this is what we're going to do. These, these are our goals. Um, you know, so the meeting lasted, you know, whatever, two hours or so. And, um, and by that time it was, it was in the evening. And, you know, so we set up individual uh, meetings with each guy and I brought each guy in and, you know, listened to what they had to say about why it didn't go well and what they thought the program needed and so forth. And then I told them, you know, what my expectations were and, you know, how we have to, you know, work and, and so forth. And I just laid it all out. It's like, this is going to be difficult. If you want to be a part of it, uh, let's get to work. If you don't, um, feel free, you can, you know, get up and, and we'll help you transfer. And we had one guy that came in and, and said that, you know, he, he was leaving. And I asked him why. And he says, well, I want a better social life. And I, I, I couldn't have kicked him out of my office fast enough. You know, like, <laughs> that's why they were losing, you know, that, that mentality, yeah. uh, it wasn't going to school and then going to the basketball court. It was going to, you know, it was going, you know, up to the, the, to the OP um, and, and drink and then maybe get to class. And then basketball was, you know, way down the list. So I couldn't wait for him to, to grad, to, to get out. And, you know, so we, we met with our guys and then, and then we put them through individuals. Uh, we wanted to know where they were, uh, what, what type of players we had, had, but at the same time, we wanted to set a tone. I was like, this is how it's going to be done. And we had a couple of guys that couldn't last, didn't last five minutes in, in the, uh, in those workouts. I, you know, so a couple of guys threw up, you know, and it was like, that was our chance. Like, this is how it's going to be done. If you want to be a part of it, let's go. If you don't, then you need to, you need to go and, and go to a, another school. So, so we had individual meetings, set the tone, had individual workouts, made sure this is how it's going to be done if you want to be a part of it. Um, and then we went out and recruited, um, you know, and, and it's funny. It's, you know, recruiting on the phone. And as you, you said, Connor, I think whatever it was, 17 and 67 or whatever in the last three years. Yeah. Um, you know, so my math isn't very good, but it's like four games a year that they won. So. Yeah. You know, when we when we talked to kids on the phone and, and I didn't get the job until April 10th, you know, so most of the players by that time, you know, the good players, most of them are, are already swept up and going to other schools. So, you know, we were starting behind the eight ball, but we made phone calls and we got out in the road. And, you know, some of the phone calls, you know, some of the kids were asking you guys division one. You know, it's it was shocking. It was shocking. Um, but it's really important. And, and you know. The first thing, and I probably should have said this before, the first thing is, you know, making sure my staff um, what, what was was ready to go and wanted to make that jump uh, to Bonaventure from Pittsburgh. You know, as you know, you know, Pittsburgh's a good city. Now we're going from a city to a little town. So I needed to make sure that those guys wanted to do it, um, and, and they did. Um, you know, so I always, you know, when, when I first got the job at Robert Morris, Coach Process said the biggest decision you'll make is hiring a staff. Um, you know, cause those guys are going to make or break you, you know? So I, I wanted to make sure that those guys were on board, that they were all in because as you know, it's, you know, only not for everybody, 
you know, it's not for everybody from from a from a yep. coaching standpoint and from a player standpoint. But so you, you got to be no all doubt. in, you know. So I made that point in, and so got the staff. I kept one Dino Presley uh, on the staff for a year, um, you know, because he had brought in some players, and you know, we didn't want to lose those players, um, you know. So we just went out and, and recruited, you know, got on the road, made phone calls, and, and tried. You know, we had four players, you know, so you know, we, we needed to have at least one more to have a team. So, so we went out and we got some guys and, and, and some of those guys ended up being good players. Some of those guys ended up leaving, um, but we needed to set the foundation. You know, we, we needed to, to build the, the foundation of, of our team. And I thought, you know, with, with Tyler Ralph and Tyler Benson and Mike Lee, Zarian Ferretti, those four guys really set the tone for what we were trying to accomplish. And, you know, and Zarian was, you know, he was suspended. He wasn't even in that meeting. He had been suspended by the previous coaching staff. And, and I had brought him back on, you know, he was on the Mark Schmidt probationary period for a month. Um, you know, he needed to prove to me that, that he wanted to be a Bonnie, you know, so, so he, you know, they, they bought in and they were the, they, they, they started this whole thing. Um, Cause you get, a, you got to build a, a culture. You got to, you got to set the tone. You got to set the rules and, and you, and, and those guys have to, they have to work at it. And I think, you know, the previous staff, whatever happened, it, it just wasn't – the chemistry was bad. They didn't know how to win. Every time they got in a situation – I watched a lot of tape. You know, every time they got in a situation where they were going to win, you could see the head goes, go down when, when a mistake was made. They were just in that, mm-hmm. in that mode of, like, here it goes again. You know, so those 30 days were, were really to, to set the tone, to build a foundation, to build the culture that you need. Uh, to win and, and to bring in kids that were going to fit that culture. And I think in order to build that culture, you, you know, it does, it's not a one or two year period. It's like you need to build it three or four years. So those young guys learn how, how to win. And then when they become seniors, you bring in those young guys, you know, and now those guys learn from the older guys. But with us, those guys didn't know how to win. So the guys that we were bringing in, had to had to teach themselves, and that's that's the challenge of building a successful program. You got to get good leaders, but those good leaders aren't going to be leaders right away. They have to learn, you know. So that's why it's always you know it's a it's a four or five year process to get to where you want to go. And then sometimes, as you guys know, it doesn't work out. You know, after four or five years, the coach gets fired. You know, but yeah. that that was our right. mindset was to change the whole mindset of the program from a losing program to one of respect. And that's what we try to do in the first 30 days. And believe me, it wasn't pretty. You know, there were some days where you, you sat there and said, what the heck did I do? You know? Um, right. But, you know, as you go along, you see, and I always say too, it's, you know, and, and, and you know, Coach Pross always used to talk about it. You know, administrative administrations, they win championships. It's not programs, it's administration. Everybody has to be a part of it. Everybody has to buy in. And that's why I was so comfortable with Watson. You know, he, he understood Bonaventure, the mentality. He lived it, you know. So he knew that, you know, it was going to take some time. He understood the, the, the philosophy that you needed. And, and like I said, I, I was really, really comfortable with him and, and with Sister Margaret. You know, they took a chance on me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was, it, was, it was a marriage. They took a chance on me. I took a chance on Bonaventure. And, and thankfully, it worked out for both of us. 
Coach, this is Chris. Um, you, you started talking about sort of building the foundation and some of the guys that you had brought in and changing expectations and having your staff yep. brought in. At what point do you feel like the program really arrived to the point that you were really excited about uh, what you were yeah. accomplishing? And then how do you sustain Yeah, good that? question. I am, um, you know, I, I think once we started um, our first year, um, I, I thought, you know, we didn't win very many games. Um, I think we won eight and I think we won two in the, in the non in the conference and we beat St. Louis in the final game of the regular season. And, you know, we didn't make the tournament um, that first year, the only, whatever it was, the top 12 teams or whatever, we came in 14th. Um, but I saw things change like that last game we won and the, the mentality of our players, they became competitive and, you know, it's not like, like I said, we won two games, but I, I thought the mentality of them changed. Um, you know, coming to the rally center wasn't going to be an easy game anymore. Um, you know, those guys, they, they had a, they play with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder and it took time to build it. But like I said earlier, you know, with Tyler and Tyler Benson and uh, Mike Lee and, and Zarian, they really bought into it. Um, you know, so that was the first sign that, you know, something, what we're, what we're teaching they're listening to and they're following. Um, and then we just started trying to recruit. And, and the first guy that we got was a kid named Jonathan Hall. Um, and he was yeah. our biggest recruit. He was, he was a junior college player from South Plains in Texas. He was the MVP of the, the junior college national tournament. And I don't even know how we got Jonathan. He's from Miami. Um, but he was our first guy that really legitimized the program. Like we got the MVP of the national tournament, you know? So it was like, how did Bonaventure do that? And I still don't know why, you know, Jonathan came, you know, we had won eight games the year before and so forth, but he really, it was the start. He was the leader. Um, and then we started bringing in other guys. Um, but, you know, the goal was to try to be competitive um, and then really try to be a, a, a team that, you know, can really compete for titles, but we needed to be competitive first. And I thought Jonathan really brought that to our team. And then, you know, when we got Andrew Nicholson um, the year after, um, and, you know, he's skinny as hell, but we knew the potential that he had, you know, so now we have Andrew and we have Jonathan and we had other guys, Demetrius, and there was a lot of other guys, you know, Matthew Wright. And, you know, I don't want to miss anybody, but, you know, when that second year and that third year where we were making progress and, you know, the rally center became the rally center again. Um, I think that's that's when I knew that, you know, one, I made the right decision and, and, and I knew that you know we had a chance to be successful. Now, did I know that, you know, we were going to win the Atlantic 10 tournament in 2012? No, no. But I, I knew we were getting better. Um, and just like I remember, you know, we played. St. Joe's, you know, the first three or four years. And we had no chance. You know, like they, their talent level was so much better than us. Their coaching was probably better than us. They just dominated us. Um, but when we were able to beat them, that, that just showed us, like, you know, something, we got a chance. You know, and, and just we brought in kids that were fit what we were trying to do. Uh, Coach Pross always talked about when I w was recruiting for him, he always asked me, you know, the first thing, how tough is it? You know, so toughness was such a big, big key. And then we had to get kids that that fit the profile, that could do it academically, you know, but wanted to be basketball players, weren't caught up in, 
you know, all the hoopla, you know, the big gym and, you know, all that, all that, I tell you all the time, all that glitters isn't gold. You know, sometimes it's fake. You know, we just wanted blue collar guys. And I think we were getting those guys. Um, and then when we, you know, we had success and we were getting better every year. Um, and then the 2012, that was, that was the pinnacle that, that, that just showed us like we did it. You know, some people said that, that it couldn't happen. Um, you know, we, we were taking a job that was a suicide mission. Um, but I think we proved to everybody, but, and we proved to ourselves that what we were doing um, really worked. Um, but, but like you said, yeah. yeah, it was hard work, you know, and believe me, it wasn't just me. It was the staff, it was administration. Um, it was, it was a lot of, a lot of ups and downs. Everything wasn't smooth. You know, it's not like every recruit that we had worked out. Um, and we got lucky with some guys, you know, Andrew falling down, you know, going down to get on the van to go to Vegas. If he didn't fall down and sprain his ankle, you know, we would never have got him. So we had some luck around, uh, you know, along the way, but, you know, just building that, that, that mentality of, you know, blue collar, you know, just get the job done, unselfishness, um, and getting guys, and I use an analogy all the time, is like you wanted guys that once once class was over and they went to the cafeteria and they ate, you know, they're leaving the cafeteria, where were they going to go? Were they going to go back to the dorm or were they going to go to the gym? And my assistant did a really good job yeah. of evaluating guys and getting guys that love to play, that have a passion for it, and those guys went to the gym. you know. Because we don't get the top 100 guys and definitely didn't get you know the top players when we first started this thing. But we got guys under the radar that just loved the play. And that's how we did it. You know, we coach them up, good, good assistant coaches to coach them up, but you get good players, kids that are going to do it the right way. You know, not Albert Einstein's, not guys that are going to be in the, in the library 24 seven guys that want to get the degrees, but guys that wanted to be pros. And that's, that's how we, we, we went, went about it. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've had some success. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Jonathan Hall because um, he, he deserves he a does. lot of, a lot of credit. Because he, he, was such oh, a bulldog. he he brought uh, he brought just, toughness to our team. He brought legitimacy yeah, to our team yeah. because of who he was, yeah. and he brought toughness. He wasn't intimidated by anybody, you know. And he was a quiet no. leader, but he was fierce, you know. He was so tough, man. And he wasn't he wasn't overly. He was a skilled player, no, but he wasn't no. overly skilled. But he just yeah. yeah he outworked everybody. I remember um, he was definitely a fan favorite just because of how he worked, and you could see it. You know, my like the back half of when I was there, ju- my junior and senior year, you could see it starting to turn, and and you could see yeah. the toughness, um, especially yeah. on the defensive end, which I yeah. I appreciated. And you know, obviously, we look forward now, and and you you have this thing rolling. And one question that we all want to know, and it's something that fascinates me, is I'm gonna like give you a little scenario. So let's say you were to play like away at a VCU on a Tuesday night, and the next game would be a home game. Let's just say it's against Dayton, so another good opponent yeah. on a Friday night. So once you get on that flight or that plane coming home, what is what's how is the prep starting, or has it already started yeah. for that Friday night game? How, what does that look like? The lead up to prepare for a really good opponent. An interesting question. It's um, I'm a re- I'm really big in scouting. Preparation is really I think that's one of our one of the reasons why we've had success is you know we've had you know we've done a really good job in recruiting guys. Um, but I think the, the preparation, I think, is is something that we do a really good job on. So each assistant has every third game. So I have three assistants. Each one has, you know, so, you know, we're playing three games. You know, one of them has the first game. One of them has the second game. One of them has the third game. 
So they've always right. watched the game. So we play VCU, win or lose. Um, after the press conference, you know, once I get back on the bus to go back to, um, you know, back then we didn't we didn't charter. We were you know going back to the hotel yeah, and yeah. waking up at four o'clock in the morning. But now we charter. So once I get on the on the bus to go to the to the to the uh, executive airport, the the coach that has the next game, the Dayton game, would give me the scout report. And the scout report, you know, he would okay. have already watched his five, six, seven games. Um, and my my son, the grad assistant, he'd be like the advanced scout. So he would get all the tapes and he would break it all down for the guy that had that had that next game. And that guy that had the next game would have watched all the games so forth. And so he'd give me a scout report. The scout report would be personnel, strengths and weaknesses of each guy, matchups, um, the keys to victory, um, you know, things that we need to do to win, and then what they do offensively, defensively, um, you know, all, all the stats. And then he would have, you know, the six or seven plays that he thought that – or the concepts that he thought we needed to go over. So I would look at that, you know, on the bus, on the plane. Um, and then we get home, say it was like 1 o'clock in the morning or whatever, and, you know, get off the plane, get in our car, drive home. Um, and then the alarm would, would go off at 6 a.m. and I would get up, take a shower, go into the office. And then my job is uh, – I, I, ne- I never feel like I can, I can go into a game unprepared. Right? I need to watch as mm-hmm. much tape or more tape than the assistant coaches. Because I, I tell our guys all the time, the one thing that we cannot do is lose a game because they did something that we didn't know they were going to do. That something that was on that tape that we didn't watch that seventh tape or we didn't watch that tenth tape. And that tenth tape was the play that beat us. So we can't have, I call them Pearl yeah. Harbors. Right? We can't have any surprises. So, so I would watch, you know, from, you know, 630 in the morning until, you know, whatever, three o'clock in the afternoon, whatever we practiced. So I would watch, you know, three or four tapes. And after probably the third tape, I would bring the assistant in that was responsible for the game. And then we would sit down and I I would say, all right, you know, why do you want to play ball screens this way? Why do you want to put so-and-so on this guy? Um, And I would get his his feedback of why he thinks, you know, and I said, okay, I appreciate that. He'd go back to his office, watch more tape. I would watch more tape. And then I'd bring him back in again and, and we would discuss and then, you know, we would agree, all right, this is how we're going to play things. Some stuff I would agree with him and say, yeah, you you know, we're going to do this way. Some stuff I may disagree with him. Um, and then, so by the time practice started at three o'clock, I had, you know, watched three or four games. Um, and so I would put the practice schedule together. And what we would do would say practice would be at three o'clock from three to four. My Nick, my grad assistant, and the guy that had the VCU game would put a highlight, low light tape together, the the good and the bad of VCU. So we would watch that okay. for an hour from three to four. You know, the, the good things, the bad things, what we need to improve on, you know. And sometimes it would be a nice session. Sometimes it would be a yelling session, you know, whatever. And so that would be three to four. And then once we watch that VCU tape, then it's like VCU's done with, you know, me being mad, be, me being happy, whatever. That's done with. And now we move on to Dayton. And that coach that had the Dayton scout would now, it would be up all on the board, all the the, the personnel, um, you know, description of each guy, the guy that was going to guard him. And then he would have on the other side of the board, the the um, the keys to victory, you know, whatever, you know, transition defense, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so he would 
that assistant for, for 20 minutes would go through the personnel. And I think it's really important to get an assistant coach up in front of the team because my job is to help those guys prepare to be head coaches. So you gotta you gotta learn a presence. And the more you do it, the better you get. So they'll he'll give a 15, 20 minute summary of, of Dayton. And then we would watch 15 more minutes of Dayton tape of, you know, just, you know, 15 minutes of the first half against their last game, right? And then we would go out to the court and for like 45 minutes, we would walk through Dayton. I would, I would walk, you know, take all the sets, the six or seven, eight sets that we think are the concepts that we think need to be taught. We would go through Dayton. And I'm a big guy on calls. So if you were, you know, like blue, blue is screen to screen. It's almost like a mental game. And so we would walk through their stuff for 45 minutes. This is how, this is their, their man stuff. All right, this is their zone stuff. This is how we're going to guard it. All right. So for 45 minutes, and then we would, we would loosen up a little bit. We do a lot of shooting, a lot of foul shooting. We may, you know, dummy some sets. It's not a hard day at all. It's more of a mental day. And then after that, we would go back into the, into the locker room and we will watch more tape of date, like all the stuff. Now we just, walk through for 45 minutes, Dayton stuff, how we're going to guard it. Now they're going to see it, you know, with Dayton running and how we're going to, you know, and, and I quiz them and so forth. And then after that, you know, they, they go, you know, to the cafeteria, eat. The guys that didn't play a lot would go back out in the court and do a workout with the assistant coaches. And then, the, you know, then I'd go back to the office, watch tape, um, more tape, and then go home, wake up the next morning, come back into the office and watch more tape, put practice together, meet with the staff. And then, that that Thursday would be more of a it would be more of a physical practice, but nothing anything crazy. Would for the first 15, 20 minutes, we would walk through Dayton again, any new stuff that we wanted to to put in, uh, and then we would practice, um, you know, a regular practice for an hour and a half, two hours. Then we go back into the locker room, um, and then we'd have the scouting report. And the scouting report is the scouting report that the coach gave me. We would give to our players. And would have all that stuff, all the plays, okay. um, the strengths and weaknesses, all that stuff. And so we would do that. And then um, the grad assistant would put a highlight tape together of Dayton, all their sets and so forth. Um, and then after that, then we'd go and we'd have a, a team meal at night, uh, the night before. And then the, the day of the game, you know, we'd have a shoot around from 10 to 1130. Um, and that's really like a practice it's a summary of all, you know, how we're going to guard it. And some of the stuff will go full speed. Some of the stuff we won't. And we'll do a lot of shooting. Um, and then then we have a pregame meal is four hours before the game. So say it's the game's at 7 o'clock. We would meet at 2.45. And from 2.45 to 3 o'clock, I give our guys a test and a quiz. And each guy, like, like you know, I don't know, Kyle Lofton, you know, I would ask Kyle, I'd tell me, Kyle, about – about the guy you're guarding. And if Kyle said, you know, they say the guy's left-handed, he's six foot two, he's, you know, he can't shoot. If Kyle says, you know, coach, he's five foot 10 and he's a great shooter, Kyle Kyle doesn't play that night. He he, he, um, he doesn't, because wow. our, our coaches, scouting is everything. And, and you can lose a game, you know, because you didn't guard the guy the right way the first, first play. Like, oh, I didn't know he was a three-point shooter. Or I, I didn't know he went left. Yeah. You know, so we give our guys a test. Each guy has to answer at least one question. If he gets it right, then he has the right to play. If he gets it wrong, he doesn't have the right to play. He sits at the end of the bench. And then we come up with an excuse that he was late for practice or, or whatever. 
Um, and then, wait, so so this is this is just like a, a verbal. You just go around the room and yeah, I'll say kind of tell tell me about you know Mark Schmidt, and and if you say you know he, yeah. he's he's black and five foot three, all right, Connie, you're done. <laughs> you know, yeah, because I I firmly believe it's like and, that's our advantage if we don't take advantage of that. Because every game, every game yeah. against the even opponent is going to come down to one or two possessions. And if we can beat them in those one or two possessions because we're more prepared than the opponent, then that's what we got to do. Right? And if a guy – it's disrespectful to the assistant coaches. It's disrespectful to me. It's disrespectful to, for your teammates not to be, be prepared. And we only have 31 opportunities to do this. So we're going to put everything into it. And, and we do. So – when you when you asked this year when you're in the locker room and you I, I don't remember who was guarding Obi Toppin <laughs> how long was the response? <laughs> we had Obi Toppin we didn't have, we didn't even, we didn't have Shun and we didn't have Jer- we didn't have Jaron English so yeah that's yeah. right um, yeah, Obi yeah, Toppin yeah. was you know the best player in the league one of the best players I've ever had the opportunity to coach against um, but yeah there wasn't much that you could do against Obi other than you know, double teaming them and hopefully makes a bad decision. And, you know, hopefully we don't turn the ball over. So yeah. he gets out and, and does one of his flying dunks. <laughs> uh, so and they were, I, I actually felt really bad. For them uh, they, I you know something they like in our year, league right? or at our level, you know, whatever it is, high major minus, however you want to describe it, there's not going to be very many opportunities that you're going to have a team like Dayton. Yeah. And they legitimately, guys, they had a chance to win the national championship. Yeah. I, I, they really I did. They had, I'm they had, I'm glad. Well, they had, they had veteran guys that four or 50 year seniors, yes. they had Obi Toppin, the yep. national player of the year. How many times does that happen in the Atlantic 10? You know, it's like, you know, St. Joe's had it, the national player of the year, you know, yep. whatever it was, 2002. Yep. You know, they went to the Elite Eight. This team had a chance to win the national title. And for them not to be able to see that through is – it's really disappointing. Yeah, never happened again. They, I mean, they, they never happened again. You don't have to... and, and probably won't right. happen and again. They, and like you said, and they were – and the whole team's – you know, they'll, they'll get recruits and everything else, but that oh, team yeah, broke up. So it's almost like gonna... that whole phrase, what if. You never know. And they'll yeah. be what – the rest yeah. of their life, they'll be what if. Yeah, it was a travesty. It was a travesty because they were good it, enough. Yeah, they were really good was. enough to win it all. And and and, and on top and of that too, too, it's like it's a shame for for Dayton, but it's a shame for the Atlantic Ten too. Mm-hmm. You know, it would have get yes, it, you know we, we got respect, but we don't get the respect that I don't think we deserve. To get a team to the Final Four or get a team that wins a national championship, that just raises the level the exposure of the Atlantic 10 that could, that would help every league, every team in our league. If that happened. Absolutely. Right. And what drove me crazy too, is people say, Oh, you know, the, well, the Atlantic 10 maybe isn't that great this year. Like no, Dayton was Dayton's just really yes. that good. Yes. I mean, they are just that good. I think the only team that really played them well, St. Louis. Yeah. They were physical enough with them, but yeah, the Atlantic yeah, 10 was, exactly. the Atlantic 10 was better this year than they were, than it was last year. Um, but yeah, it's they. They were just that good. They were just that good. Oh man! And um, you know, it's when you, when you look back at it, and and they were obviously ranked one in the tournament, and it would have been fun to to have that thing oh. play out 
Um, obviously, it, it, we didn't get a chance to see it. But I'm glad to hear you say you thought they had a legitimate chance because I had been saying that all along. They had all the, they had all the pieces. Coach. They had all the pieces. Today's episode is brought to you by our good friends over at Newport Craft Brewing and Distilling. So if you're in the Newport, Rhode Island area, here's what you do. Go to newportcraft.com. You check out all the available options for you. You load up your cart, whatever you want. You check out. And then from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., you can drive to the facility for a contactless pickup. So whatever your order is, they check your name off, they throw it in the back of your car, and you drive away. So if you're not into social interaction, this is certainly the option for you. And if you are into social interaction, say hi. Just make sure you're wearing a mask and staying six feet apart. Uh, They're great people over there. And also, you know, while you're at it, check out the Instagram page. It's just Newport Craft. And you can see all the new products they've been working on. It's a great follow. So watch out for the Instagram page as well. I want to thank Newport Craft Brewing and Distilling. Uh, Coach, you know, there's definitely, in hearing you speak about uh, your program, there's definitely an identity to what you guys do, talking about the blue-collar toughness and the preparation and the scouting. I'm curious, over the course of your coaching career, was there is there a concept, a strategy, a philosophy that you believed in early on, maybe when you were an assistant or a younger head coach, that over the course of your career you've totally flipped on 180? You know, I believe this yeah. was a really good strategy. And then, you know, I've coached long enough. I said, ah, yeah. I don't know if that works or, or vice versa. Is, is there a is there a concept, strategy, philosophy that you've you've done? Yeah, a good question. Degree turn First of all, I, as an assistant, now. I thought I had all the answers. When I found out <laughs> when I became a head coach, I didn't have a lot of the answers. Um, but I think one of the biggest things is back in the day, you know, when I was at Xavier uh, and even before that, it's almost like defensively, like denying one pass away, forcing the ball to the baseline, you know, that, you know, don't let the ball be reversed. It's like, that's how we were like pressed to the chest. Don't give up one floorboard, like that whole aggressive stuff that we played at, you know, when we were at Xavier, when we were at Loyola. Now it's, it's all like, I, I totally changed to the pack line, like reversing the ball, back in the day was a no-no. If you, if you allowed the ball to be reversed, then that guy came out of the game, right? If, if you allowed uh, the ball to be dribbled, dribbled to the middle, you were out of the game. Everything was forced to the baseline. Now it's the pack line. Though. My philosophy totally changed. Now I could – it's all about five guys guarding the ball. Back in the day, it, like if you couldn't guard the ball, then – you couldn't play because you had no help. We always we used to sit in, in as a staff at Xavier and say, all right, we want to deny one pass away, but we also want to help. Well, you can't deny on the line, up the line, help, and also be able to guard the recovery. So we changed in the whole Tony Bennett thing, the, the pack line, the pack line, the pack. Do not allow the ball to get below the foul line. All right, do no baseline drives. All right, everything – Everything was taught or is taught now. The way I teach it, it's all everything's from inside out. It's like, how do you play the post? If you play the post on the top side, then you will never allow the ball to be dribbled baseline. Because if it's dribbled baseline, the guy that's that's guarding the post can't get around to help. 
You know, so we guard the ball top side, guard the post top side to front. We do not allow the ball on the wing to be dribbled baseline. All right. Everything is pushed out, either middle or out. You don't really want the ball to the middle, but you do not want the ball to the baseline. And back in the day, if the ball didn't go to the baseline and went middle, you were coming out of the game. So that that one that one philosophy has just has changed in the last, you know, since I got the Bonaventure. You know, when I was at Robert Morris, we we denied one pass away, really aggressive. Um, but now it's it's five guys, pack line, you know, 17 feet. Don't let the ball get to the to the paint. Um, you know, and, and that's how we play now. It's 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 a total 180 from how I learned how to coach uh, back in the day. Everything's aggressive. Deny one pass away. Do not allow the ball to be reversed. Keep the ball on one side. Now it's like, who cares if the ball's being re- – they can reverse it 10 times. The ball just cannot get below the foul line. All right? It's, it's you know, it's pack line. Guard your yard. All right? All, everybody, has, everybody has the ball. And, and that's – to me, that's the biggest – the biggest difference from when I started coaching into in the way I coach now from a defensive standpoint. So coach, we had a, uh, we had a pretty extensive conversation last week about uh, New Jersey and it's lack of shot clock in high school basketball. Yes. So I got a hypothetical question for you. Uh-huh. If you were a New Jersey high school basketball coach, how would your defensive philosophy change? Would you guys still be playing pack line? Would you go back to, pressure defense because it because there's no shot clock correct no, no shot, shot clock, clock. In New Jersey. That's no a, shot. first of all that's a shame that we're with you that's a shame even though i'm old school thank you that, that's just not i don't know that's i don't like that but at the same time i wouldn't change i, I just think the game of basketball now it's like good offense starts on dribble penetration all right bad defense starts on dribble penetration once the ball gets in the middle of your defense, you have huge problems. So I don't care if, if a team is going to hold the ball for two minutes. Right? My philosophy is to keep the ball out of the paint. And, and it, it would be like that to the day I die now. Because it's like everybody's taught to beat guys off the dribble. Like, for instance, when I was at Xavier, people laughed, and we had really good players. Right? Our philosophy offensively was – Swing, swing, drive. I would do lectures, and they would ask, like, Coach, you know, you guys run good stuff at Xavier. What, what is it? I said, well, Coach Prosser believes in swing, swing, drive. And they look at me like I have one eyeball, like, what do you mean? And I said, well, we just swing the ball from side to side, make the defense go from ball side to weak side, weak side to ball side. I, and then the hardest thing to do in basketball is closing out. All right, so you swing the ball a couple of times, create closeouts, and then drive that ball. That was the philosophy. And then you drive it. Now, now you have to make a decision. Do I shoot it? Do I pass it? I, and that, or do I dump it down? That, that's, and we sent four guys to the backboard. That was our philosophy at Xavier. Now, if we had the philosophy of denying one pass away, all right, guard, guard your man, deny, Xavier would beat, a, beat us by 100. So forget about the shot clock. It didn't matter if there was a shot clock or not. They would score every time. So I just believe it's – the, the pack line, because of the way that basketball is played today, right, especially with the four guards, right, the more you can get into the, into the gaps, the better off you're going to be defensively. 
So, Coach, I had a question because I have my own philosophy on this, and, yeah. and we do pretty much all pack line. We've been doing it for a lot of years. Um, when you're yeah. teaching closeouts, is what are what are your what are your points? Are you having guys, yeah. you know, do the chop steps, yeah. high hands? What, we, what do you we, do? What do you teach one thing you have to do is you got to do it every day, right? You got to do it every day. I, I learned a long time ago. It's it's in coaching. It's not what you teach. It's what you emphasize, right? And if you want to be a team that's really good in closeouts, you got to do it every day. If you want to be a team that that presses, you got to do it every day. It's it's you got to whatever is emphasized. That's what the kids are going to understand is important, right? So that's a one big thing, right? The other thing is we we do it. You sprint three quarters of the way, short choppy steps. As your goes down, your hands go up. All right, so we close out with two high hands, right? As our butt goes down, our hands go up. Your shoulders have to be behind your heels, right? So your hands take away the shot, right? Your butt, your stance is going to take away the drive, right? You do not want to sh- have a kid be able to shoot in rhythm, right? There, there's a percentage, the whole analytics thing. When you close out with your hands down, Guys make the, the shot out of whatever it is, 60% of the time. When you close out, they make it 30%, whatever the numbers are. But it's it's sprinting three quarters of the way, short, choppy steps, butt goes down, hands go up, right, and then you trace the ball. And we do it every it. single Love day, it. and our guys get sick of it. All right? We do shell every day, every day. All right? and, and shell is, you know, yep. it's, you know, some guys like, oh, God, shell, here we go. If you do it every day, those guys will understand that it's important and they'll get better at it. But closing out is, it, to right. me, that's the hardest. You want, If you're a good offensive coach, you want to create closeouts, right? How can you create closeouts? And, and that's what we try to do offensively and defensively. You know, we want to eliminate as many closeouts as we can. And you eliminate them by guarding your yard, by keeping the ball above the foul line. You know, as soon as penetration happens, that's when you – your defense collapses. Right? Then there's rotations, and rotations cause closeouts. And now you're going to be beaten off the dribble, and now it's drive and kick. One more, and now they shoot an open shot. Yep. Uh, coach, as a, as a high school coach, uh, we have a lot of guys who, who think they can play at the next level. Um, what's one tangible and maybe one intangible thing that you look for in recruits? Um, toughness is one and, and I think young kids and you see it, you know, in high school ball, you see it in AAU ball, shoot, you go down to see middle school. I think kids think that in order for me to be recruited, I got to score a lot of points. I got to shoot. I got to be scoring. It's not my thing. And, and, and coach process taught me, you know, in recruiting is toughness is really important. You know, guys, you know, how, how well can they move their feet? But dealing with adversity, right? And, it, and it's funny. And I tell my assistants all the time, it's like, you know, everybody's good when things are going good. You know, everybody, you know, plays hard. Everybody treats their teammates good. Right? When you hit adversity, when you get a bad – referee makes a bad call, right? what's your reaction? When the coach takes you out because you, you made a bonehead play, what's your reaction? Like if you go to the end of the bench and you put a towel over your head, you're into the whole me thing. We don't want you. Right? When you come out of the game because 
the coach, you did something wrong. I, when you sit next to the coach and you get up and you cheer your teammates, that tells me that you're a team guy. And those are the type of guys that we want. Those are the type of kids that are going to win. All right. So it's not all about what you do on the court. It's, it's your mannerisms, you know, when you're on the bench. All right. The other thing that's really important for kids that want to get recruited, right? Some kids, and you talk like, you know, even, you know, we make phone calls. Hey, what you do to our coach, man? Man, I, I was in the gym for five hours. Today. I said, well, what were you doing in the gym for five hours? Because, you know, if you're in the gym for five hours working on the game, then, you know, you just wasted your time. You have to work at game speed, right? I hate the um, – the, 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 what do you call that? The thing that rebounds your, your, the gun. I hate the gun. Yeah. I hate the gun. Cause the gun <laughs> is, you know, it, the gun is good if you just want to get repetition, <laughs> but the gun is useless because you're yeah. not going to shoot at that speed in the game. It's you, it's everything right. that you do. It's got to be game speed. And I tell kids all the time, be in the gym an hour a day, but be in the gym an hour a day working on, things game speed your shot game speed your handle game speed it's got to be game speed it can't like i'll go out and watch our guys sometimes i'll come back you know in the office late and the guys will be out there shooting and, and they're, all, they're just you know messing around you know shooting it's like you just, and i yelled down to them i said you're wasting your time go back to the dorm right you got to work at game yeah. speed game speed and shoot yeah shoot shoot the whole shot <laughs> you know it's like no you got to Everything's got to be at game speed, game shots at game speed. And you got to work on the things you don't do well. All right. Work on your weaknesses. You know, it's like, all right, you can shoot. No, you got to shoot better. All right. But you got to work on your handle or you got to work on, you know, shooting off the dribble or, you know, those types of things. Cause you think everybody wants to be a division one player. And, and, and I, I, I tell these guys all the time, like when we offer them a scholarship, I don't care where it is. If you're, if you get a, a division one scholarship or, or scholarship to any level, that means you're a hell of a player. Because in Division One, there's 353 Division One schools, and on average, you give out three scholarships a year. So there's only like a thousand kids are going to get a scholarship to play Division One basketball. A thousand, and and it's not a thousand Americans; yeah. it's a thousand players in the world. If you can be one of those thousand players, you've accomplished something that yeah, it's hard to do. But in order to be one of those thousand kids, you better work hard. And and you gotta and you gotta work at at game speed. You know, I took 500 jumpers today. Well, all right, that's great, but those 500 jumpers aren't gonna help you in the game if you haven't if you didn't shoot it at game speed. So, and I want to ask you one more question before we do the the quick hitter thing, which we'll do fast. And and we appreciate you know you staying on this long. And this is just just really for me personally. Like I I run a decent amount of sets and probably more than, than I think I should. Like when I go over my year at the end, you know, we, we interview guys and they'll say sometimes, you know, like I, you know, maybe we could do a few less plays. Um, I have gone to a bunch of your practices, man. And, and I've, I've seen the practice plans. I've seen the, you know, 20, 30 minute run throughs of, of all the sets you're running. And you hear announcers mm-hmm. talk about it all the time when they're doing your games. Like he's got a, you know, his play sheets, the biggest in the, in the conference and I've seen the card too. I mean, it's big. How, give me this, how many on a given night, any given night, how many sets could you, could you pull out? And what do you expect? How many are you expecting your guys? Oh, to yeah. absolutely well, know when they, get it's, the game? they don't play. It, it's, 
if they want to play, they have they have they understand that they need to know the stuff. All right. And then so you put the onus on them. Some like, oh, you put too much stuff in. All right. Or you put it in too quickly. My thing is, if you want to play, you're going to learn it. All right? and, and guys learn it all different ways. Right. All right. Some guys learn it by, you know, coming into the office and watching tape with the coaches. Some guys learn it by writing it down. Some guys learn it by, you know, going over it on the court. I don't care how you learn it. But if you if you want to play at Bonaventure, you got to learn it. And and we've had guys struggle early on. I, and then we've got, you know, Deion Wright was ex- a prime example. I had no idea his freshman year. None. None. He, he didn't know if it was Tuesday, Thursday. He had no idea. But he understood if he wanted to play that he was going to learn it. So you just put the onus on them, you know. And what I try to do is, like, in, in, when we're getting the game plan ready, watching all the tapes, I look at it and I was like, what do, you, what do I feel will work against Dayton? And so I'll put, take 20 plays. Say we have 75 plays. Right. I'll take the 20 plays that I feel are going to be most effective against Dayton. And those are the, the plays that we dummy. All right. But as you know, there's adjustments in every game. Like, you know, Dayton may be playing ball screens hard um, on tape, and then halfway through the game, they change and they start, you know, what are playing them soft. So now the plays that we had in aren't going to work. So we'll go to the to the next 20 plays are the plays that that are going to be effective against teams that, that are playing the ball screen soft. You know, so I, I think you have, I think as a good coach, you have to have, be able to adjust and have plays for every situation. All right. So out of bounds plays, sideline out of bounds plays, end of the clock plays, you know, end of the half play. Every scenario that you can come up with, you have to have a play that you've been that you've gone over. All right. Now, and I've learned that, like I told you earlier, you know, as an assistant, I thought I had all the answers. Right. So my first year at Robert Morris, we're playing Bailey Dickinson and we're down by one and we had the ball. So I call timeout and I draw up this play that we've never gone over in practice. I think I'm, you know, I'm smarter than the other coach. So I draw up this play, and and I said, all right, everybody got it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we go out, and the other team, Billy Dickinson, calls timeout, all right? And so they come back in. I draw it up again, you know? And you know how, you know, timeouts are a minute or whatever they are. So I, I probably drew the play up ten times, and I'm like – and it was a backdoor play. And we go out there. All right, everybody's got it. Yeah, coach, yeah, yeah, yeah. We go out there, the kid runs the wrong one. And and we lose and we lose. (laughs) And from that, and that's shoot 19 years ago, I will never ever run a play that we did not go over in practice ever, ever. You know, so I think that you have to be able to adjust, but you got to have plays for every situation. If you, if you have one second on the shot clock, you're underneath, right? You need to play. It's like, if you're going to draw something up, there's no way those guys are going to be able to execute it. No way. So that's, you know, yep. and, and so we have a ton of plays. Um, and, and, and the other thing that I believe in, you know, our season is long, you know, so every week, just, just to get the guys' brains working, I put in something new every week. Every, every game, I'll put in, in at least one new set that just, just to get the brain working so, that, so they don't become stagnant 
Um, you know, so I try to put in something mm -hmm. different every week. And, and sometimes I'll use it. Sometimes I won't. But just to get the kids thinking that they, they just don't get comfortable. Yeah. Wow. Love it. That answers my question right there. So you're looking at about 20, maybe a few more. Yeah, well, they need they to know all now. those other ones, too. Uh, but All right, so. Those, those those 20 ones uh yeah 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 they need to know like the back of their hand because as you know as you know it's oh. like all right you, you can so. draw up these plays but it's all about execution right you can have all this stuff but if you're not yes. executing the timing isn't right you know that's why like we talk about um practicing at game speed your shot or whatever you gotta dummy your sets at game speed you can't just dummy your like we'll go yep. you, you, before practice, and as I said earlier, it's what you emphasize, right? And we emphasize set. So our warm-ups, you know, when before we start practice, our warm-ups are going over our sets, our secondary break, our half-court sets, and we do it full speed. Just so, because if you don't, you know, you're not going to do it in the game. Your timing's going to be off, and and you're not going to, you know, that play's not going to be effective. Yeah. All right, so we're going to move on. Last thing we got for you, just some some quick hitter, fun questions. We want to answer them quick, so kind of like a lightning round. Yes. Hart, are you ready? All right. Um, probably VCU and Dayton. And, and, and they're, they're great places to play, but they're also really good teams. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yes. but those oh, are every two, year. two hardest places. Every year. Uh, the Riley's number and the one. the Riley would be up there. The Riley's too, number one. Closing coaches. Absolutely. No doubt. Uh, you know something? That, that's a good question. I, I I don't know. It's like everybody has their strengths. Like in the Atlantic 10, there's really good coaches. Everybody has different styles. Um, you know, so it's – that's a hard question. I, I can't really pick out one. Like I, I can pick out any everybody in the Atlantic 10, those guys. You know, and that's one thing that's so challenging about the Atlantic 10. There's so many good coaches. So it's, it's hard for me to, you know yeah. – all I know is a great, a great story. When my first win at Robert Morris, my first win as a head coach was against Mount St. Mary's, right? And Coach Phelan at that time had won 704 games. And I had won one. Wow. So probably he, he probably is the, is the best coach I've ever coached against. Probably the guy with the most wins. Maybe Bayham maybe has more wins. Probably. I like that. Yeah, I think he has a few, a couple more. Um, but that's good. That's a good answer. All right, three. Go ahead. And you answered this, but I want to see if, if you go back on it. So best yeah. player coached Obi best Toppin player seen. is, pro you know, most recently, um, you know, probably as a head coach, he's probably – he had it all. Athleticism, skill, um, IQ, and, and, and his ceiling is so high. He was just so hard to guard because – his athleticism was so much, so superior to to ours, or any of our players. Where do you think uh, he's he, going he, he should go in the top five? He, he like, and he's not gonna. Yeah. He may not have success right away, because I'm telling you what, he, he's not even close to where he's gonna be. You know, once once his jump shot yeah. becomes consistent, because he's only you think about it, he's only been really playing for a couple of years. Yeah, hundred percent. And he's he's still he seems, he seems like a yeah, great very unselfish. Too. I mean, just from you know, and, and he's not you know look at me. He he's a guy that I would enjoy coaching. 
All right, here's a good one. We've all answered this in our previous podcast. <laughs> You're up three, okay? Op- opposition has uh-huh. the ball with seven seconds left. <laughs> you have you have 19 fouls. Are you going to foul? I will never foul. You're going to foul the opponent there. Never. I. I my, this is my philosophy. If you foul, Love you it. have a chance to lose the game. Because he can make the first yeah, one, yeah. miss the second one, kick it out, hit a three, we lose. The, le- the worst you can do if you don't foul is to go in overtime. That's my – that's my philosophy. Wow. So now, ne- if never, you if if I before. knew that we were going to rebound the miss, I would foul every time. But if you don't know, because right. what yeah, happens, yeah, it becomes luck now. Because we like like I said about practice in every situation, we practice miss foul shots, right? We practice that scenario. So our job is, you know, we're going to whip it off the front of the rim as hard as you can, and that ball is going to deflect. And now it's like, where's it deflect? It's 50-50. You know, so you're put in the hands of, of somebody else. Where if you play it straight, and like at right. the end, we'll switch all ball screens, but and and we practice, you know, you know, hopefully we don't follow the three-point shooter. I guess that's one way you can lose, follow the three-point shooter and he makes the three. But I just think that you can control that more than you can control a missed foul shot that's gonna you know, bang around and go anywhere. Yeah. All right. Favorite Brothers restaurant Bistro. in Olean. There's good restaurants. I think that that's, um, you know, Beast and Barrel and Angie's and all that. But my, my favorite place is, is Brothers Bistro. Love it. All right. You've told me some good stories about um, yeah. the coaches versus cancer golf tournament. What's the uh, the best maybe the best place you've you know gone so it's the best, the best like, like I've been lucky to, to play at great golf courses, um, and it's I'm a little bit biased, but the Country Club in Brookline, that's the best. That's the with, yeah. with the tradition, that's the best. That's the best, and the mm-hmm. the foursome like the way it works is I bring three boosters with me, so so it's just I quote I'm the celebrity, oh, okay. and then I bring the three guys that are payers. Um, but uh, do we have time? I have a short story about that. All right. So Jim no, Sadler no. was, was the head of the coaches versus cancer. So my second year at Bonaventure, he calls me up and he says, you play golf. And I said, man, I love playing golf. He goes, can you get, and he, if this is like on a Thursday, he goes, can you get out to Inverness on Sunday? I said, Inverness, where the hell is Inverness? He goes, Toledo. And and I oh, and so right, he go, I go yeah. Yeah, yeah he goes well this is coaches versus cancer da 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 Tom Izzo can't show up so you're gonna replace him so I said, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll do that so I get in my car drive out five hours later get to Inverness <laughs> and you know you're there Sunday and Monday it's a two day tournament so I get there and I drive into the uh, into the parking lot get my clubs walk out and there's this this whole this big line. And, you know, I go through the line, you register, and then you register. Nike at the time was the sponsor. And so I register, and then I go down the line, I get free Nike shoes, a free Nike wedge, Nike shirts. I probably leave there with like $2,500 worth of free gear. So so I don't know what – so now <laughs> I'm playing, you know, I get my guys. And, if you know, Mark Plansky, the play to Villanova? 
Mark Plansky worked for Lehman Brothers yeah. out of Boston. So it's it's Tom Izzo, Mark Plansky, and two other guys from Lehman Brothers. Well, Izzo couldn't show up, so it's me. So we have these caddies. Everybody has a caddy. So we stopped playing. And, and it, when I go through my reception line, they ask me what my handicap was. And I'm a much better player now, but back then I was an 18 handicap. So they go, you're an 18? He goes, well, yeah. I said, yeah, I'm an 18. She goes, well, at Inverness, you're going to be a 22. I said, all right. So we go out, and everybody's there. You know, it's, you know, <laughs> whoever. It, it, all the big-time guys. And so after the seventh hole, I'm one under par. Yeah. And the caddy goes, sir, no. you're not an 18. So the first day, I shoot an 82. <laughs> so – as a 22, so it's, as, it's a 60. As a 22. And uh, excuse me, 62. Yeah. No, 60. I got a 60. So so yeah. it, what it is, it, it's it's yeah, best not, ball and losing. second best, you know, two two ball, right? So we go in the first, yep. first day. We're leading by like eight shots. And I'm leading the individual by like six shots. And so that night we have this big auction. And they're, you know, $50,000 for, you know, tickets to the Red Sox, Yankees game, and you know, all these things. And all these guys are bidding, and, and I'm sitting there going, wow, what's going on? So Bobby Kremens is one of the guys. He's like, and then we have this big reception afterwards, and he's like, who's this Schmidt guy? Who's this Schmidt guy? And I'm like, like I didn't know. They took it seriously. So, so the next day, I go to the driving range, and I'm warming up, and I got a camera behind me. And I'm like, what, what, what is going on? He goes, oh, you're the leader of the tournament. So I go out the next day, right? And I shoot 84. <laughs> and I get a I got a one on a par wow. five. I eagle the par five and it was getting two strokes because I'm a 22. So, <laughs> so at the end, they have this big, you know, big get together at the end, you know, the winners and you know, first, second, third place and whatever. Well, we win. And so we get gear, we get probably a thousand dollars more worth of gear. We get this gold trophy. It looks like the Stanley Cup. Everybody gets it. And then we have to go up and we have to say a few words. And so my, my guys get up and they thank Tom, Tom Izzo for not showing up. <laughs> so that almost like, I mean, for me, that, that would oh, yeah. almost like well, blow yeah, up. This is what happened. Did it, so did it almost blow the next, up so I drive back from, from uh, Inverness back to only, I probably have, I don't know, three $4,000 worth of gear in my car. And so – the next week, I go up to uh, Rochester, up to Monroe Country Club to play, and there's another coach's thing. And so I'm on the putting green. And as I'm putting, uh, Coach Beheim walks by, and he looks at me, and he goes by like two steps, and he comes back. He goes, you're getting a reputation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, did that yeah, drop so, your, yeah. Did that drop yeah I have, we haven't won since. We came in second a couple of years ago. But we haven't won since. So. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I, sure, I had a uh, reputation for a couple of years. Year. But since I haven't won, you know, that, that reputation is now. But they, they, they told me I was a sandbag. I had no idea. That's if cool. I knew it was that important, I would have lied and just said I was a 14 handicap or something. <laughs> but even if I was a 14, I probably still would have won. And I played. <laughs> it was the best I've ever played. It was like the ball was yeah. going straight. Yeah. And I think I got a one on a par five. Well, the impressive thing – Incredible. I mean, if you do it, if you do it, back one it up. Day, I know. It's I know. one thing, but I know. to back it I up know. with the second day, 
Yeah. All right. <laughs> and the, the last one, this is a really tough question. And if you don't, you don't have to answer this, but I'm curious. Biggest win in your career, beating Xavier in 2012 you know, or UCLA in 2018? This might be a political answer, but I think in 2012, it was the biggest win for our program. In 2018, I think it was the biggest win for the school, if that makes sense. I think, you know, when we built it, yeah. you know, it does. And won it in 2012, uh, people said we couldn't do it and da 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 da. And we beat, you know, in, in essence, we beat UMass, St. Joe's, and Xavier, the three, you know, biggest teams in the, in the league. So I think for our program, it, it, it got us back, it legitimized us, it got, you know, but I think in 2018, it was more because you guys know the history of, you know, Lanier being hurt. I think it was more for the legacy that it's more for the school in general, because, you know, beating UCLA and they probably would have beat UCLA back in 1970 for us to beat them. It was and then I said it, it, it was for those guys. It really was, um, you know, so I think, it's you know, for the school, it was yeah. UCLA was the most important for our program. Um, and, and to build our program the way we wanted to build it, the 2012 was the biggest one. So I, I was at the, the 2012. I wasn't at 2018. Yeah. I went down to the Dallas after. But, yeah, I think I think the, the win in 2012, just yeah. it was – I mean, it was pretty stacked against us. And, uh, yeah. you know, to win that many games in a row. Yes. People forget how oh, good yeah. they and we And, and you, thought, you know, Connor, it's like – we so we could have lost to UMass. They had a shot at the at, at at the buzzer, a three. If they went in, we would have lost. You know, so it, it wasn't. You know, yeah. It's not like we dominated people. You know, it was. And yeah, no, no, and and they were they were great games, and obviously Andrew mm-hmm. just and um, and you know I remember one of my favorite stories involving you is when we were at the Prudential yeah. Center when he got drafted and Lanier came in. <laughs> He was he was making fun of my pink shirt. I think he he, he roasted me. Definitely saw. That had no idea who I was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, don't. I mean, su- such great memories, and uh, you know, you've done such a great job, and our teams just keep getting better, and we're all looking forward yeah. to. Hopefully, we have a season for all of us on this yes. podcast, and we can play um, next year. But before before we close out, anything else? No, I just I, I appreciate you guys having me on, and hopefully, um, you know, the stories were good, and you know, we we're able to learn something. But um, now it's Bonaventure is a unique place, you know, and I'm I'm just proud to be the head coach, you know. So it's, it's the best. We're proud to we're proud to have you, man, and um, thank you so much for coming on. You were great as always. And listen, next time you're recruiting down in Jersey, you got to. Give me a call and, and we'll yeah. Your, your dad get told you me. Out your on, dad, uh, he always tells me he's gonna take I, me I golfing, but he never does. Yeah, but you know how yes, he is. Yes. He, he's yeah. he's flighty with that stuff, right? If if you want something uh, done, golf. Right, you gotta, you I appreciate. It. Thanks, guys. I'll, I'll get it done for you. Thank you, Coach. Thank you. Okay. All right. All right, Mark. Yeah. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate it, man.